Today's episode of the Rainbow Skyline podcast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. fresh edition of the Rainbow Skyline podcast, a podcast about the Denver Nuggets from your friends at The Athletic. My name is Nick Cosmatter. I am your host. This is our weekly free podcast. You're maybe listening to this on Apple or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We will also have a bonus episode as we do each week. This week, we'll break down the big Nuggets Utah Jazz game on Thursday night. So we'll have that pod for you Friday morning. Uh, we'll talk to Tony Jones, uh, our colleague at The Athletic covering the Jazz Big game in the Northwest Division, nationally televised on TNT. So that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, to be a bonus subscriber, you got to go to theathletic.com slash Rainbow Skyline, get 40% off an annual subscription that gives you all of our podcasts, as well as our all of our written content from an all-star team of writers. All right, let's get to it today. I'm very excited to be joined by my good pal, Nate Kreckman. He is the host of Kreckman and Lindahl on Altitude 92.5 FM. He hosts that show every Monday through Friday from two to six. And he's just an all around good guy. Nate, thanks so much for joining us today, man. Thank you, Nick. Long live the athletic Denver podcast. (laughs) That's right. When the athletic first got started, I had somebody, I had somebody shout that out the other day, you know, it was kind of our bootstraps version of the podcast that we started. Nate was our co-host. Those were, those were some good times. It was well known for its hour and a half long episodes. (laughs) Totally inconvenient for the listener. I I do believe that uh, you and you and Nick Groke, our Rockies baseball writer, were the ones that really brought up that, uh, you know, that time, that time level. Yeah, those ones were the worst. It was you and I would go a solid hour. Groke and I was uh, those things would stretch on forever. We would just argue about baseball minutia and uh, people would just generally get annoyed with it. It was really fun. <laughs> it was fun. Well, we're, we're going to talk buckets today. And, um, you know, it's been a while since you and I have have chatted nuggets. And um, I, so I'm, I'm excited about this. Um, you know, but, but first I think off the top, we, we have to, since the last time we had the rainbow skyline podcast, obviously the tragic news of Kobe Bryant, his 13 year old daughter, Gianna and seven other people dying in a helicopter crash in California on Sunday. Um, you know, Nate, Nate, what's just your, I guess your best memory or, or your most memorable thing about Kobe Bryant, just as a basketball fan, whether it, you know, relates to something here in Denver or, or just really anything else. What are just as we're a few days removed now, your kind of biggest thoughts? You know, there was there was so many memories when it came to things that Kobe did 
against the Nuggets, and he was a pretty famed Nuggets killer. He eliminated them from the postseason three different times. Um, I'll never forget games five and six of the 2009 Western Conference Finals. Uh, just how brutal that was. Kobe, I think, went for 35 in game six, and they blew the Nuggets out at the Pepsi Center. It's the single most depressing basketball game I ever attended in my life. Um, I remember a uh, a night against the Allen Iverson Nuggets in which uh, Iverson went for 51, except he had 49 through the first three quarters. And then they put Kobe on him in the fourth and uh, he finished with 51. I mean, he just shut AI down. He swallowed him up in that fourth quarter. I distinctly remember that. And it's, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention, I mean, a number of those games that I went to in 2004 and 2005, uh, Kobe's legacy in the state of Colorado and, and in Denver, I think is different than it is in most places. And I was in the building those nights in which Kobe was, I mean, booed viciously every single time he touched the ball, um, both during and after the, the sex assault trial that went on up in Eagle, Colorado. And so, uh, Kobe Bryant was, was very, I think, disliked but also and and you really saw it last sunday with the with the reception that he got in the game against the rockets he was he was extremely disliked but also I think very much respected by the fans here. And, and how could he not be? Because he was a, a pretty famed Nuggets killer. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we remember that the 2016 when he was taking his farewell tour. Um, and in March of that year, uh, he, he came and played for the last time. I think just only played about 11 minutes. I scored five points that night. Uh, and there was a huge reception for him. But but that night, obviously, there was a ton of Lakers fans in the arena. That That was sort of back we still see that now when the Nuggets host the Lakers or the Celtics, there's a lot of opposing fans, but I really do think that it's, it's changed a little bit, but Sunday that there's not a, that's not a game filled with Lakers fans or, or really even Rockets fans. You know, that's mostly Nuggets fans. So I do think that was, as you said, a barometer of, you know, what they really felt about him in terms of the respect for his game. And, you know, it was just such a weird thing because the Nuggets were, the Nuggets were the first game to be played after after the news broke. It, I, I was I was standing in the hallway outside the locker room, literally in the in the moments after TMZ first broke that story, and um, I, I saw a staffer show Jeremy uh, Jeremy Grant, Tory Craig, and Mason Plumley who were leaving the locker room on their way to a team chapel, and it was just this sort of stunned disbelief and. and you know, Mason Plumley says, you know, is, is that that that's not true, right? That that can't be true. Uh, and so that was what was so wild about that was just they were trying to figure out, you know, whether they're going to play the game. I mean, the the altitude TV crew was trying to say how, you know, what what should we do? How are we going to, you know, talk about this or what, how are we going to handle this? And I thought did a really nice job of of coming together on really just a, a stunning turnaround, scrapping their whole pregame show, and, and then obviously the Nuggets to get a tribute. Uh, kind of moment of silence up again in just such short order. It was it, it was just kind of a surreal, the most surreal just day that I've ever really had doing this job. One of the things that really struck me and has struck me in the last few days is, you know, I'm I'm 39 years old, and so I am of a very different generation than the current NBA players. And you know, when when and you've written a lot about this, Jamal Murray who went to the Mamba Academy and worked with Kobe, Malik Beasley, Michael Porter, you know, these guys that really had connections to Kobe Bryant. You know, these guys, 
they they grew up with Kobe and LeBron as the basketball gods of their lifetime. And to see the the reaction of the current NBA and the way that Kobe Bryant, you know, in the later years of his career and, and since his basketball career ended, the way that he stayed connected to the current NBA players, you know, the, the Monte Morris anecdote that I read on the athletic, I thought was great about Kobe stopping him and making him say hello in the tunnel uh, at the Staples center when the nuggets were there to play the Lakers. But it just, this guy, he was basketball to them. He was the greatest player and the greatest mind in the sport. And that really just, it has struck me because, you know, Kobe meant something different to me as a basketball fan, but also, you know, he he wasn't the star of my childhood, the way that he was for basically every player in the NBA today. Yeah. And I tried to, I tried to think of that as a perspective of like, what, what would that have been? I mean, in our own right, like you said, I'm, you know, in similar age to you and in, in our own right, it was just this stunning, you know, really sad, depressing thing. But like, I try to put at it a perspective of like, if it was the person that I was like most attached to as a, as a basketball player growing up, how that would feel for me when I was like only 20, 22 years old to have then lost that person. Uh, you know what, so Nick? Suddenly. And the the closest comp that I could think of to it, and again, it involved a Laker, and it, it wasn't um, it, it wasn't passing. But when Magic Johnson retired from the NBA because he had HIV, um, and that happened what ninety one, ninety two, right? But that that to me was the closest comparison because, and there were a few different factors right there. And I'm, Number one, it was here was Magic Johnson, the guy that, you know, turned around the NBA, the bird and magic rivalry and everything that it did. And also, you know, at the time when somebody said in in the early 90s, when somebody said I have HIV, that meant a death sentence. Yeah, that that's really what that meant. That whole thing was very, very funereal. And here was a, a career. He was still playing. He had just been in the finals. And here was a career ending. Just boom, a a hard end to what happened in his basketball career it's the closest thing that i could think of obviously the situation's different but the closest thing i could think of just in terms of the impact and what it meant at the time to the basketball world yeah no absolutely it just it's just so stunning i mean you try to think of it it's like you know prince you know prince passing and stuff like that in, in sort of a music sense um, just these larger than life stars that, you know, that, that go too young. But I I just, again, just the, the, the vibrant way that he was connecting to the game. And and you mentioned these players, he had taken on that role as being more of an ambassador. And and I think it, it, which was a departure from the guy that he was while, while he, his playing career was going on. And and so I I think that's what, um, that's what added so much to the hurt. We talk about physical fitness a lot. But there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. And Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. 
With Calm, you also have access to nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain on leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com nuggets. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com nuggets. That's calm.com nuggets. Last night, I think pretty much everybody in the NBA was was back to action. Of course, the Nuggets, that was their first game back um, after after that Sunday game in which a lot of them said I, it didn't even really feel like I was playing. So, you know, they get they get back to action last night. And, uh, you know, what, what do we take of this this loss last night to to the to the Memphis Grizzlies on the road? Um, is this is just sort of a middle of January. They, they've had a pretty tough stretch. What, what what's your takeaway uh, from that loss last night? Yeah, this this one did have kind of a sense of the January NBA doldrums going on a little bit. You know, it's funny. Uh, yesterday, I was I was hosting with an actually our buddy Paul Klee was filling in, and I was working with Paul yesterday. And when we were previewing that game and talking about it, I said, "Doesn't this feel like a night where the Nuggets just have to go off and hit?" 17, 18 threes <laughs> and just let the three point line kind of help them win. And it almost well, did. They did that. They made 17 threes last night. Here was the problem. They only made 15 twos. So yeah. <laughs> 17 threes didn't really do what they were supposed to do because they shot 15 of 41 from two. And Oh, by the way, they just, they, they decided not to let, uh, or, or, or not to prevent guards from getting into the paint the entire night because John Morant and Dylan Brooks, it, it just felt like they were in the lane on every single possession. There was penetration on every single possession. It was just, it, it was a shorthanded basketball team um, on the road against a, a very energetic and hard playing young Grizzly squad that plays above the rim and just sort of ran them off the floor last night. I'm trying not to put too much stock into that basketball game because I really do view this Nuggets team as a group that's in a bit of a survival mode right now. And largely, I think they've done pretty well uh, given what their situation has been. Yeah, I I agree. Um, You know, it's it's a situation where they're down three of their marquee role players and it's it's something that they've had to try to survive. Uh, You looked at the schedule when it first kind of came out that Mason Plumlee was going to miss two to four weeks. You know, I've kind of argued that that is potentially their biggest loss uh, simply because of the way the roster is constructed and the fact that they don't have a a lot of I mean, they don't have another true center on the roster right now. They're filling in with Jeremy Grant. Uh, which is was just forcing guys like Juancho Hernan Gomez, who is just cannot find it at all to play some power forward minutes, and and so that to me has caused the most the most shuffling around. Uh, but again, you looked at that stretch when he got hurt before that Houston game, and you said they have to play at Houston, at New Orleans, a team they have had all kinds of trouble with. They come back and host Houston on Sunday, then they go at at New Orleans. I mean, I'm sorry, at Memphis. Now they're going to host the Jazz on Thursday and then just go to a brutal back-to-back with Milwaukee on Friday. So this was the stretch that you say, you know, they have to somehow survive it. They go and they beat New Orleans. Really nice win there. That They they beat Houston in that kind of really weird Sunday game. So I, I think even with that loss last night, they're, they're still in a good place. Now, I, I think Thursday is the key game to all of this. Um, but But it kind of brought me to this next question as I've looked at it. Who do you think of these three guys that they've now missed for extended time 
and are going to continue to miss for time. Paul Millsap, Jamal Murray, Mason Plumley. Who who do you think now, as we've had a little bit of chance to look at this group, who do you think they miss the most? It, it's a it's a great question, and I, and I tried to view, I try to think about this in terms of okay, what were you doing with these guys? What have you been doing since they were out? And the conclusion I have reached, and this is to me one of those questions. I don't think there's an exactly right answer, but I really do think it is Paul Millsap, and and I say so in this way. Um, since Millsap has been out, their defensive rating is almost three points. Actually, it's over three points worse per 100 since Millsap has been off of the floor. We know the way that he anchors what they are defensively, what he means to this team defensively. And since he has been out, uh, I mean, they're up to almost 110 uh, per 100 that they are giving up here since January 6th. And, and prior to that, um, you know, Millsap's last game against Atlanta, it, it, it was, you know, it, it was a lot better mm -hmm. than that. The Jamal Murray thing, I, I do think has stunted a lot of offensive possessions, but it hasn't had the same offensive impact to me as Millsap's absence has had for their defense. It, it sucks for them to be losing all of those guys right now. And you're right. The Plumlee thing just messes with rotations and really has such a domino effect of forcing guys into doing, doing roles on this team that uh, aren't necessarily what they are most comfortable with. But I, I will say Paul Millsap. And I say that with a lean in that direction. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, you can make, I think arguments for, for all three of those guys. I really do agree with you in that, um, they were obviously the Nuggets started off the year really well defensively through the first like five or six weeks of the season. Then they really started to slide. And that was even even while Millsap was was still playing, they, they were starting to slide, although he was playing, I think, through quite a lot of pain for yeah. for a while before he finally sat down. So I think that attributed to some of it. But you look at a game like last night, we talked about the paint. I think at one point in the game, the Nuggets had been outscored in the paint by 54 points. And again, you mentioned it last night was a night in which the Nuggets for the first time in their franchise history attempted more threes than twos. Um, but again, it was just one of those situations where there is no sort of resistance as the Grizzlies were driving. Everybody was getting beat one on one. Um, you know, there was a time where Michael Malone, after a timeout, after after Michael Porter Jr. had gotten beat off the dribble by John Morant that he kind of really laid into him. Uh, but you could have gone up and down the roster with that same gripe against almost everybody. Um, Jeremy Grant, you know, even Gary Harris, who we consider this sort of stout perimeter defender, had some real lapses last night as well. And it was just one of those situations where you did look at it and say, hey, if Paul Millsap is our guy that's in there, may maybe we get some sort of just professionalism almost in, in terms of deciding that we're not going to allow this to kind of keep being a minute by minute groundhog day of, of somebody just parading through the lane. Yeah, points in paint seventy six twenty two for the yeah, night. That's that's. I mean, you'll you'll never see that. Like that is yeah. that is absurd. Yeah, and that, and that goes to show you, even on a night when you hit seventeen triples, you have no chance of being able to win that game like you did last night. And last night is a game that you point to when you say defensive lapses were just too much. When John Morant can split three different defenders, I think it was Tory Craig and Jokic, yeah. um, and and Michael Porter all on the same possession and score and, and nobody just either gets a hand on the basketball or clobbers him in that situation. It just goes to show you uh, that interior defense stinks right now. Yeah, it, it really does. There is one, one situation though, that I think Millsap's injury has, 
has helped. And it's going to be a really fascinating thing to see when, when he finally is healthy. But Jeremy Grant as a starter has been so much better than he was as a reserve player. Uh, you know, you look at it in 14 starts, he's averaging 15.2 points per game. Uh, he's shooting 49% from the field, 43% from three and 80% from the line uh, versus as a bench player, again, in eight fewer minutes per game, but 9.3 points per game, shooting only 45% from the floor, 39 from three and 62 from the line. Um, is that is it just as simple as, you know, you get those starters minutes and you're in more of a rhythm? Is it the fact that he's playing more with Nikola Jokic, which kind of elevates anybody who's on the floor? Or or is he just kind of a better fit as a starter? What do you see when you can attribute to a guy who's obviously playing so well right now for the for the most part? Probably a combination of all of the above. It's I do think that a basketball player also always gets a certain amount of mental boost when he doesn't have to look over his shoulder when he knows this is my set rotation. This is the lineup that I am going to play with. And, and they just kind of find that comfort in all of that. Some guys psychologically just benefit from being on the floor to start the game here and their name, get announced all that kind of stuff. He's shooting insanely well right now. Last five games, 14 to 22 from three, yeah. uh, which you'll take double figures. I, I kind of thought he was going to bring them all the way back. Like just going to hit like seven threes in a row. Last I was like, who is this guy that just won't miss from three? Yeah, no, he was, it was what it was 16. They got to cut down to seven and it was pretty much all on Jeremy Grant hitting threes uh, at that point of the night. But yeah, it's, I, I think it's a huge, all of the above kind of thing. And this is, this is now the challenge here for Michael Malone is, is when guys do get healthy and the playoff rotation is starting to get pared down of, can you still get this version, this, you know, sort of per 36 version of Jeremy Grant but get it in, you know, the, the 20 to 24 minutes he'll be getting in his regular role as a reserve, maybe a little bit more than that, but can you get this version of that basketball player in a diminished role? That's, that's what we'll really have to see. And and that's where we'll, we'll kind of find out for Jeremy Grant, how, how pleased he is being a part of this organization. He's his contract is up at the end of the year. There's an option there, but it's, he's going to go get paid, right? Like Jeremy Grant deserves to go and get paid right now. It's, it's what are you in limited minutes and can you still be that player that that's when, you know, that's, that's when Michael Malone gets paid for, right? Is, is, can he actually maximize what things are when the rotation gets pared down and guys are healthy and this version of the team in particular, Jeremy Grant, a guy that we've, we've never seen as a nugget in the playoffs. Can you be that player? I don't know. Let's let's see. That's to me is one of the most fascinating questions here down the stretch this season. Yeah, it is. And you're right. He, he's going to decline that nine, nine point whatever million dollar player option. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, so he will be he'll, the, he'll turn himself into an unrestricted free agent. I think the Nuggets have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to bring him bring him back and, and, and find a deal that works for both sides. But he is certainly going to get paid. And you know, you mentioned it. This was the most challenging thing for Michael Malone at the start of the season was here are all these guys that that in roles that they got put into last year because of injuries really stepped up, really earned the right to play. 
And then here you are, these guys get, it's sort of like all dressed up with nowhere to go uh, just because there is not enough, there's not enough minutes to go around because guys were healthy so much at the beginning of the season. Now, as these injuries have started to crop up, you're seeing guys like Monte Morris back to the minutes that he had for a lot of last year, really starting to thrive. Uh, Jeremy Grant is, is obviously an example. Michael Porter Jr. Uh, in those extended minutes continues to, to improve uh, pretty much every night out. And so that is going to be just a fascinating thing to see as when these guys get healthy, how do you handle that? Um, you know, I've talked I've talked to some folks about this, uh, of, of how much do you consider leaving things as is and, and, and making Jeremy Grant your starter. We know that Malone in the past, when guys have had an extended absence, he typically brings them back off the bench for, a, for at least a few games as they sort of kind of get, you know, back in basketball game playing shape. Uh, so I do think that when Millsap first comes back, that's the route that they'll go. But do you think there's any kind of machinations that could occur that would, would make Malone say, hey, why don't we just bring Millsap? He can be, he can defend for the second unit, um, you know, he can be kind of like that low post isolation outlet if, if that's what we need. A- and then just sort of, um, you know, let Jeremy Grant kind of continue to th- thrive in this role. Or do you say this guy's your 35 year old veteran, $30 million player. There's no way you're bringing him off the bench. It would really surprise me if Malone did that. That would be a ballsy move by Michael Malone. And I think in a lot of ways, kind of out of character for Michael Malone to do that based on what he's done with this team so far. But to your point right there, Nick, like what, what, what is he going to look like when he does come back, when he is working with that second unit, does he help boost that group defensively? And, and there's your answer right there. Now I do think that Paul Millsap is enough of a professional that if Malone goes to him and says, look, um, I, I think this is how we maximize both you and Grant the rest of this season. And I like you in this role. And if something happens to Jeremy, you will go back in the starting lineup. But for now, I like you with this group. And then it 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 adds the freedom for him to say, OK, when we get to the fourth quarter, what can I mix and match? What combination is working on this particular night? Would I rather have Porter in that role? Would I like Porter and Grant together in the front court or what combination is going to work with us along with Nikola Jokic down low. It sort of gives him that freedom. I, I would have no problem with Malone doing that, especially. And again, let's see what Millsap looks like with the second unit when he gets back. But I, I and tell me if I'm wrong, you're around Michael Malone every single day. I'd be surprised if he did that. I, I would ultimately be surprised as well. Um, I, I think, and for most of the reasons you say, I, I just think he's, He's a veterans coach too. Um, yep. That's that's sort of how he's kind of connected. As he started to bring up these young guys, he's always really leaned on sort of the Jameer Nelsons and um, you know the Paul Millsaps, Mason Plumleys, guys like that uh, to sort of be his an extension of his voice and talk to them about how how they're doing things. So I would really be surprised. And and again, we I'm not even I'm not even convinced it would be the best idea anyway. Um, I, again, we talk we're we're sitting here talking about how poorly. They've gotten off. Like I, I saw a stat. I think Adamarez had uh, that. That was like six. Their last six quarters. Their last six first quarters. The Nuggets have given up um, at least twenty-eight points, and most of those have been over thirty points. Ugh. So I mean, we're talking about a team that's coming out of the gates and just getting burned defensively. 
that could be a reason enough right there to just say, hey, let's get arguably our best defender on the team uh, back into the starting lineup and and just sort of hopefully, you know, one thing you hope is that maybe this momentum that Jeremy Grant has created for himself, this this rhythm, you know, that maybe that supersedes the idea that he's just starting uh, and that's why he's playing well. Maybe he's just now in a better rhythm. You can still sort of work it so that um, maybe Paul Millsap's just playing fewer minutes. So Jeremy Grant continues to get to play a lot of minutes alongside Nikola Jokic and, and do it that way. But again, I, I would also be surprised if Paul Millsap were to, to kind of long-term be taken off the bench and wasn't their starter in the playoffs. Um, l- let's finish it with this trade deadline now coming up just, just about a little more than a week away, February 6th. Uh, you know, as it stands, the Nuggets, I, I think the talk for quite a while has been that uh, Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez are two players that, that teams are certainly interested in. Certainly, I think Beasley more than Hernan Gomez. Um, yeah. but, but given the injuries, again, it, it's turned into a situation where the Nuggets, I think, need need Malik Beasley. They don't have I mean, they don't have shooting on this team. Last night, making 17 threes was um, pretty much an aberration considering how well this team has shot the three. Um so my 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 thought is that that they're going to need him, and unless they're going to use him in a deal that brings you back somebody that can really shoot shoot the basketball like a JJ Redick, um, then then it doesn't really to me behoove the Nuggets, even if they're going to lose him for nothing uh, in the offseason as a restricted free agent. I, I just have a hard time thinking that you can part with this guy unless something really comes back that's going to help you. Uh, what is your view on it? Uh, what is I'm, I'm doing the quick math right here. Three for his last 21 from behind the arc right now. Is, Malik yeah. Beasley. This is, this is over the last six games since that great breakout against golden state. He has mostly been kind of a net negative for this team offensively. Now, again, it's, but, but you've seen nights in which he goes from 31 minutes down to 18, up to 26, down to 17. He's another guy whose role is fluctuating all over the place with Gary Harris's return, but Gary being on the minutes restrictions right now, Malik is, is another player that just doesn't feel like he's all that comfortable out on the floor. This is another guy that kind of needs minutes. And you know, the, the golden state game is the perfect example of like, that's the best version of Malik Beasley. You know, I think of that game at Memphis last year of, of the way that Malik can kind of in, in some ways it sounds crazy to say, but he can take over games offensively. He's just not doing it very often right now. and just doesn't feel like he's particularly comfortable out on the floor. If there is something where you could potentially move him for shooting and some team could say, we want this guy and we believe we could sign him to a contract extension. I, I think you would do it. The, the Wancho thing, who's dying for Wancho right now? Who's yeah. giving up something of some sort of value no. that isn't just in a complete and total rebuild um, to go and get Wancho or not Gomez right now. That just, that, that move almost seems like it, it's, it would be impossible to make. Um, it feels unlikely the nuggets are going to do anything. Um, it does kind of feel like they're in that situation right now where eventually a healthy Jamal Murray and eventually a healthy Paul Millsap back in the lineup. That's going to be their de facto trade deadline kind of additions for this team. But if they could add three point shooting right now for a team that is 25th in the NBA and making threes per game, it's, it's something they absolutely need to do. I know I, you wrote that piece about a potential JJ Reddick trade. I'm all in for that. Yeah. I'll sign me up for that. I just, it doesn't feel feasible at all. It doesn't, it doesn't. I, I think that would be such a, such a great fit with them, you know, instead of, 
Gary Harris, you know, obviously Gary, Gary Harris might, might, or might not be a part of that, but like, just think about these, these dribble handoffs that the Nuggets run, you know, JJ Reddick just creates so much momentum and space coming off of, would be coming off of a guy like Nikola Jokic, um, that it would just be a, be a nightmare, but I don't think the Nuggets have, you know, we always used to look at the Nuggets as this team, just, um, chock full of assets. And right now I just really don't think they have the ammunition to do a deal like that. Um, you know, who, who are you give, who do the Pelicans want? If, if you were to trade, you know, what Malik Beasley, uh, Gary Harris to, to fill the contract void or, or a Mason Plumley, that that's not enough. And then you don't have a first round pick you can trade. Um, you don't even have a second round pick until 2023. Uh, I just don't think they have the ammunition in this trade deadline to, to make a big move. No, it really doesn't feel like that. They're just kind of stuck. They've moved all their draft picks. Um, when when do the Nuggets have another second round pick right now? What is it? Twenty three. Twenty twenty three. That doesn't even feel like a real year in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still adjusting to this twenty twenty yeah, thing. But yeah, they just they don't have any assets. Yeah, your daughter's gonna be in high school by the time that they have a second round pick. Uh, <laughs> She'll be driving. <laughs> no, you're you're right. And you know, again, most of these second round picks they gave up in that salary dump with uh with Brooklyn to get rid of to get off of Kenneth Fareed and Darrell Arthur's contracts in 2018 and then obviously the last the first the first round picks the last two years have been um you know again the the Wilson Chandler contract and then uh tr- uh, trading to get Jeremy Grant th- for the 2020 draft for it, and that's why they won't have a pick this June uh again and, and so I do I, I agree that kind of stuck a little bit now they're not let's be they're not stuck in a bad place if we zoom out and talk about where they're at they still have a lot of really young, really good players, and that's what they're going to kind of continue to build this off of. But at the same time, when you're a young team, you always have to build through the draft. And 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 that and my my kind of hope for them is if they don't think they're going to be able to re-sign Malik Beasley, and you can get a first round pick for him, I think you have to sort of restock your asset cupboard. Now, I, I'm not sure right now the way he's playing. I don't think they'll get a first round pick for Malik Beasley. Um, but that that's that's sort of I think what they're running into. The more you look at it, you just say that they need they need some picks. <laughs> they they need some yeah. assets. Who of pieces that they could move would actually fetch a first rounder right now? I don't I don't know if Malik or Wancho would. I don't think so. I don't think even in, in tandem they would. Um, yeah. So so it's 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 tough. Um, so, so we'll roll on that, Nate. Again, th- thanks so much, man, for for joining us. Again, you can listen to. The uh, Kreckman and Lindahl show on Altitude 92.5 FM every Monday through Friday from 2 to 6. Uh, and again, the bonus episode for us here at the Rainbow Skyline podcast will come Friday morning. In order to get those bonus episodes, you got to be a subscriber. So sign up at theathletic.com slash Rainbow Skyline for 40% off an annual subscription. Nate, thanks a lot, man. Of course. And also, like, I I can't believe that Thursday night is the first time they play the Jazz this year. <laughs> I mean, I've been waiting for this, and it's... It's almost February. They still haven't played the Jazz. Finally, <laughs> let's get this thing going. This is going to be a fascinating measuring stick to me. Uh, but what an interesting scheduling quirk. Yeah, it, it is. And then they then they play at Milwaukee 22 and a half hours later with a, with a cross-country flight in between. So good times. Yeah, that's Milwaukee can still blow teams out when they don't have Giannis. So that's not cool. That's scary. So, all right. Again, a big thanks to Nate. A big thanks to our producer, Rob Lopez. And thank you to you, the listener, for keeping it locked in. Until next time, thanks for stopping by. 